the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Streaming now on the KDOW app and Radio.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. 1220 KDOW presents Rob Black and Your Money. Your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in, we'll chat, and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show. Had some microphone issues earlier today, and we'll see where we are. I'm just going to blame COVID. That excuse looks like it's running out of time, so to speak. Stocks are opening higher, based in very broad terms. Everything's going higher. Apple's still a pretty notable underperformer, up one-tenth of a percent. When you're seeing the big boys, so to speak, move in chunkier bits. The S&P 500's up 33 points, up almost 1%, up nine-tenths of 1%. That's a big move. The Dow Jones Industrial Average up 1%. And the NASDAQ up 1.3%. Russell 2000, the big, big winner, winner, chicken dinner, up 2%. Russell 2000 represents small cap companies in the United States. We are going through the dip buyers. Do you like avocado? Do you like salsa? What's your favorite dip? Dip your chip in my dip chip. Dip buyers out in full force this week. Last week, it looked like the NASDAQ was going to roll over and die, and it did. It went down 10% from its recent high. That's called a correction. But it came back four or five days later. That's pretty intense. Um, There's not a big cool-off there, if that makes any sense. So, is five days a correction? You can kind of see that the people who want to use their stimulus checks want them as soon as they can because they want to put them in the market. There's been numbers ranging from about millennials and they're pushing their 30s to the tune of jumping on the, I'm going to invest 50% of my, I almost want to call it a refund check, but no, 
stimulus check. Very high level there. Disney Plus is out in the news today, or Disney. Listen to this, and I just want you to get perspective on it, if you can. Disney's flagship streaming program, Disney Plus, has surpassed 100 million new subscribers. Keep in mind, they also own the majority of Hulu and ESPN Plus. So we're talking, they've got three streaming plays here. They hit the nine-digit subscriber mark in 16 months. 100 million new subscribers. So it didn't take them very long to go from zero to 100 million. That's how big their brand is. This week we've talked a lot about Princess Megan and brands and how many Instagram followers equals how many networks deals, Netflix deals. It's funny. New microphone has me a little bit tripped up, but Netflix has 204 million subscribers. Disney has 100 million. Netflix is more international. Disney's still rolling out. Now, Disney got some more good news yesterday. In time to tamp down or clamp down on political pressures, Gavin Newsom is saying, hey, baseball parks can reopen, as can theme parks. And if you know anything about living in California, Californians can't shut up about how great Disney is. It's a pretty interesting state. (laughs) It really is. I've lived here now, making it my home for over 20 years. How many Californians have never been east of the Colorado Mountains is insane. They don't even know what's on the other side of the mountains. You're like, it's a nuclear wasteland. And they're like, I knew it. I knew it was. So Disney's got that reopening coming up. Plus, they got, um, again, it's going to be minor capacity, but it wasn't lost on me that other Disney properties in the country and in the world are already reopened at 25% capacity. But Disney went out of their way to say, we're going to have to retrain our employees. That's going to have to happen. And again, in truly Disney way, it'll make you vomit when I say this. Um, they call them cast members. So, 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about money, investing, and more. One company that I want to bring you aware of today is a company called Roblox. They are about to come public. And Wall Street tends to like their story very much so right now. It's an independent game. So it's indie. It's not owned yet by Microsoft or Sony. I could see Microsoft making a play for it with the way Microsoft made a play for Minecraft and then ZeniMax. If you're a popular publisher, I could see Sony or Microsoft make a play for you to try to get you on their platform exclusive. I could see Apple making a play for Roblox. Um, it's kid, it's kid entertainment program. And when I say kid, it's kids. If Minecraft were, if you were kind of like okay with your kids doing Minecraft, uh, somewhere between the ages of six to 12, mom caves and goes, yes, 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 he can finally play a video game. And the kid's like, cool, all my friends have been playing for two years. Thanks, Mom, for ruining my childhood, right? 
But Roblox is now the standard, this is where kids start playing video games. Before that, a couple of years ago, we would have said Minecraft is the standard, where moms came and go, okay, okay, Junior, whatever you want. So San Mateo's own Roblox, the kids' entertainment company set to come public today. It's one of the top grossing apps for Apple and Google devices. It's turned youthful users into game creators. One of the things we've been saying on this show recently is we're going to see a video game maker in the top 10 most valued companies sooner rather than later. And I, I think you could call Microsoft that, but I think the implication was something along the lines of um, Activision Electronic Arts or Take-Two. When Take-Two announces Grand Theft Auto 6, that stock's going to fly. And I would imagine there's going to be a, an announcement on a Grand Theft Auto 6 at some point. But this year you're going to probably hear an announcement about how they're going to revamp Grand Theft Auto 5, which is still making tons of money. They're going to revamp that and make it PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X enhanced. And then probably this time next year, we're going to hear a Grand Theft Auto 6 announcement. And that's going to cause the stock to, I'm not going to say double, but as we get closer to E3, as we get closer to the events where uh, video games are announced, watch the stock. Roblox is coming public, and they're a video game platform for children. Uh, they've recently started dabbing or dabbling in the areas of, like, advertisements inside the game. Warner Brothers, Netflix, Marvel. Uh, they had a pop band release an exclusive launch party on Roblox over the weekend. So they're doing concerts. They're doing a safe environment where parents can trust that spammers and scammers aren't going to be going after their children. It's going to be a big IPO. Welcome to the video game world of investing. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. of our programming are brought to you by our good friends at Provident Credit Union. With 21 Bay Area locations to serve you and your banking needs, visit ProvidenceCU.org. Now back to Rob Black and your money with your host, Rob Black, on the Bay Area's business leader, AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money investing and more. Thanks for listening to the show. I do appreciate it. Um, I love finance and money. I love a good investment story. I can find reason to get up and take a look at the news. I think I did some of my best work in 2020 in the fact that I didn't take any vacation, that when the markets got tough, I, I, I showed up every day. I do remember back in the 1990s when... Everyone was making money in tech stocks and in the growth stocks and in mutual funds. Uh, it was much more expensive to buy stocks then. It was 200 to $250 a trade. Now you can get them for free on Robinhood. But I remember when it went to poop in a handbasket, um, it was bad. And it went bad fast. And people who were making money in High Five in 1999 going on, let's go to Costa Rica, all 10 of us. Uh, 
um, when that ended, it, it, it people didn't know what to do. I remember looking at statements where you're like, man, I just paid $40 or $50 for a stock, and not only did it go down 10%, but I'm, I'm out the $50 for buying it. Now I have to sell it again, and that's going to be another $50, and the system's broken, and they're all making money off me. Dang it, dang it, dang it. I'm a loser. People would get shell-shocked, and they wouldn't open up their statements. I pride myself on opening up my statements. American households are becoming one big family. Listen to this story and tell me if there's a trend in it that we could invest in, because I think there is. 15% of home buyers have been buying multi-generational homes since the pandemic started. 15% multi-generational homes. Let's, let's figure out what that even means, right? That's the highest multi-generation home buying rate since NAR, National Association of Realtors, not a pirate organization, began tracking the metric nine years ago. So we don't have a lot of data, but we have some there. In 2012, following the Great Recession, when a lot of families started combining households, this was a big problem for millennials. They're coming out of college. They got the sexy eyes for the members of the opposite sex, like, hey, we're young. Let's make babies and start a family. Move away from your parents' house. And it's like, oh, I don't have a job. Oh, wah, 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 wah. The non-job thing stopped formation of households, and it kept some kids at home. Back then in 2012, 14% of home buyers were buying multi-generational homes. It dipped down to 11% just a few years ago as people got more confident. They don't need mom and dad to help pay the bills. The percentage is now uptick back up to 15%, driven by high-risk coronavirus concerns, loneliness, and childcare needs. More aging parents are moving in with their children. Income loss and pay cuts also make multi-generational housing appealing for cost-saving purposes. I love my children. I hope, as you look at them when they're born, my, my, my hope was, I, you know, I, I want you to be a good man. I want you to live till you're 18 and go off and do your own stuff and, and, and see the experiences. That I'll get you there and you get yourself above and beyond that and, and do something cool. Make dad proud. But as I'm getting, as he's getting older, and am I, as I'm getting older, I'm like, I'm not ready for him to leave. So the idea of a multi-generational home is very, very cool to me. Driven by high-risk coronavirus concerns, loneliness, child care needs, and more aging parents moving in with their children. Playing a role, but we don't know how much or not as dramatic as those, is the the boomeranging back home. More than half of young adults between 18 and 29 are currently living at home. 52% of people 18 to 29 are living at home. How's that for a crazy what the F? Like, really? I, I thought that number would have been different. Uh, they're not a big driving force behind the trend because they likely moved into homes that already had enough space for them, meaning their family didn't need a bigger one because they're boomeranging. But if they boomerang with a wife and a kid, you need a bigger home, a multi-generational home. That's where the story gets some grit to it of like, let's think about this for a little bit longer. In 2018, the average U.S. household size began rising for the first time in over 160 years. 
between 1790 and 2010, it declined from 5.7 people in a house all the way down to 2.5 people. But in 2018, that number started to rise again to 2.6 people in a home. The average household size is not available for the years between 1790 and 1850. Uh, I'm guessing post-Civil War, just uh, Revolutionary War, right? Richard Fry wrote, the previous decline in household size correlated with a decrease in the number of children women were having, as well as fewer extended family living arrangements. My mom passed away from COVID in February. I'm very thankful that when I turned 18, they didn't kick me out, but I was allowed to come back for summer during college. But they expected me, and due to those expectations to be on my own, I, I grew into them. It wasn't always easy. It had been way easier to have mom make uh, breakfast for me and do my laundry until I was 30, but that wasn't going to happen. The Great Recession back in 2010, 2012, uh, also left more Americans residing in shared quarters, whether with a roommate or with parents. The Bay Area got so crazy that I know of people that were living in a five people in a two-bedroom apartment. So it was boyfriend, girlfriend in one room, boyfriend, girlfriend in another one, and then girlfriend, uh, just one person on the couch. And I know that some of those times that I was getting up to six or seven, and sometimes those five people all have jobs. They, it was five people with cars. And if you're in a two-bedroom studio apartment, you get two parking spaces, but you have five people. And, like, it became nuts here of people trying to squeeze in any way, shape, or form the ability to stay. So multi-generational households are coming back in favor. The coronavirus is repeating the co-living of the Great Recession, of the boomeranging of the children, but now their children are coming back with their own children. Having an extra caretaker around for kids in remote school doesn't hurt either. Um, I've got some in-laws that are pretty cool. Do I want to live with them? No. Uh, would I if I had to? Potentially. Um, you could see kind of what I want versus what will really happen are two very different things. But that's a lot of people's situations of... You know, getting that extra caregiver to get the kid to school, giving that other get extra caregiver so that mom doesn't have to go into a nursing home that's $100,000 and splitting a, a family again. We have this and much, much more. Coming up, we got the one, the only, Patrick O'Hare from Breaching.com, giving us some market perspective. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. Joining me now, Patrick O'Hare from briefing.com. Mr. O'Hare, how are you today? Hey, good morning, Rob. I'm doing okay. 
interesting week. <laughs> we seem to say that every week, but uh, last week the, the wheels had come off the NASDAQ party and they're back on. Um, everything go- is going up. Uh, Dow hit its record high, NASDAQ surges big, Tesla up 20% in one day. What a week! What a turnaround in sentiment. Is, is that fair to say, or is it too too early to put that label on it for good? Um, you know, we're not even uh, through half the week yet either. <laughs> it has been quite a week, but um, I do think it's probably a little too early to, to put the label uh, on that sentiment has, has changed permanently as it relates to the, you know, the make a cap, grow stock, uh, momentum stock trade. Um, yesterday looked very... Um, fabricated in a sense, you know, uh, quite a mechanical quantitative move off of what everyone widely recognized as an official correction for the NASDAQ. Um, and so it's kind of like you, things just sort of gelled to say, hey, this is an opportunity to come in and try and force the action. And they did. And, and they did it with tremendous success. Um, but it was a little too cute um, in, in my mind. And, um, you know, uh, obviously have to see how things unfold. But again, you know, interest rates, as we continue to talk about, Rob, remain a a, uh, uh, a fulcrum for, you know, kind of how these growth stocks are going to behave, I think, and how the broader market in general is going to behave. You know, those long-term rates have settled down a little bit. So that was just created another opening yesterday for, you know, for some buy the dip bravado. And it really got going in stocks like Tesla. <laughs> yeah, I feel like the market's trying to make a fool out of me. As soon as I, you know, make a bold statement, like this is certainly sector rotation. It's <laughs> almost, it, it's almost as if the Robinhood investors were just waiting to pounce and, you're seeing just big jumps like the ARK Investment Fund has become a story because it's in every high-flying tech stock. So it goes down 10, 15, 20 percent. And we're like, ah, finally, you got, you know, there's hell to pay. But then it, it rolls right back in like two days of market action. I, I need a little slower digestion period, but I'm not going to count on it. Uh, changing top. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, if I can interject real quick, I I think it's really, you know, a a sign of of the times that one can expect to see more of as this year unfolds, and certainly the first half of the year, because basically when you get, you know, such drastic moves uh, in such a short amount of time, I mean, it's it's symptomatic of a market that's, you know, flush with liquidity that's also hitting an intersection here of wondering, you know, whether interest rates are going to be a spoiler or whether they're going to go up gradually and then, you know, help lead to the continuation of this bull market. But, um, you know, yesterday was a telltale reminder of just how much liquidity is sloshing around out there uh, and that it doesn't take much to kind of force these, um, you know, these surgical strikes, you know, one day, two day surgical strikes where you just have some tremendous moves, but ultimately they don't last. And, and I think this, this roller coaster action, um, is likely to be a, a part of the, the fabric this year, uh, as we get, you know, further into reopening and a lot of the good news that was already priced in with respect to that reopening actually manifests itself, which then begs the question, what now? And the answer to that question, in, in many respects, is going to lead down the road to interest rates, right? What happens with interest rates, I think, will will help determine whether these, this roller coaster becomes a little bit more one-sided, either the upside or the downside. 
all very interesting stuff. We're talking about inflation now. Um, kind of losing some listeners and some viewers out there because it's not sexy, it's not fun. But last week I took, I guess you could say, some solace in the fact that David Tepper and Jerome Powell from the Federal Reserve and Janet Yellen all said interest rates should probably settle down now and, and not go parabolic. And they were right. It took about a week for us to feel that uncomfortable. Do you take solace in a David Tepper, a billionaire, when he talks on CNBC and says, eh, these interest rates should start going sideways or digest? Um, or are you more of a Jerome Powell Federal Reserve believer? Or do you want to see the numbers yourself to believe them? Where do you come down in this, uh, uh, not market debate, but it kind of it settled the markets and gave me a buying signal last week, per se? Um, yeah, well, we can throw Jeffrey Gunlock into that mix as well. Um some founder of Double Line Capital um, out of out of I believe Los Angeles, and um, you know he had a, a webcast yesterday, and he also conceded that you know long term rates probably should should stabilize a little bit here, maybe come down that they you know got got oversold in the short term, but but at the same time you know he was talking about the possibility of inflation rates hitting you know three percent plus you know as the year goes on. You know, as we cycle over some very low base effects from last year, um, you know, his forte is bonds, right? And, uh, and, but, but to the credit of Mr. Tepper, I mean, you, you do have to certainly, um, uh, allow for some, uh, reputational, um, premium there, if you will, in terms of his viewpoints. Um, but we also have to take account for the idea that, you know, um, he trades and invests, right? And, you know, we're not going to know exactly what he does or thinks probably until after he's made his own moves uh, of benefit to his investors. Um, so you do have to take some of that with a grain of salt. But, but we also, you know, wrote a few weeks ago in our bond column that we thought that the move in rates uh, on the long end had, had kind of hit a roadblock, if you will. There wasn't a lot of resistance between, say, you know, one point. Two percent and one point five six percent, and and sure enough, you know the ten year rose right up and went through it up to one point six one percent. But there is more overhead resistance now in this area between one and a half to one and three quarters. And when you have these higher nominal rates uh, combined with strength in the dollar, it does become more of a of an attractive outlet for foreign investors. And that's kind of the argument they're making is there's greater appeal now. Uh, for foreign investors to come in and buy our treasuries and kind of help contain the the upward pace of of long term interest rates, but I have to say though that um, one must believe, notwithstanding what could happen here in the short term, that the path of least resistance for interest rates, long term rates in particular, should be higher. Um, I mean, we're talking Q1 GDP growth north of 8%, right, is what's in, in a lot of economists' forecasts. Goldman Sachs looks for GDP growth of 6.8% for all of 2021, right? Should the 10-year note yield really be under 1.6%, you know, when you're talking 6.8% uh, GDP growth? I mean, no, <laughs> but yes. it does kind of underscore sort of the power of the Fed's invisible hand here. Now, the Fed doesn't control long the long end of the Treasury curve, but it's going to do its part and it's going to do what it can to control that long end of the curve 
if things start going up in a fashion that it thinks is going to get in the way of achieving its goals. And so it's a question of whether the whether the the Fed can can maintain mind control over this market or whether the market's going to lose its mind over what the Fed policy is and the idea that it's not going to be successful um, here and that you might have an attack from bond vigilantes um, coming to fruition. Well, we have two or three minutes left, but I wanted to ask the question of last week I highlighted Kathy Wood and her flagship ARK Innovation ETF and how it's all Zoom, Peloton, it's all the sexy pandemic names. It's it's the cutting edge of technology. Um, then the fund falls 20%, then it roars back 10%. A couple weeks ago, we were talking about GameStop. A couple weeks before that, we were talking about the capital insurgency. A couple weeks before that, the election and the stimulus plan will happen, won't happen. This seems to be a market that's, that's driven by stories that don't necessarily last a long time. Would you agree with that statement um, and focus just on the general markets? I don't know if there's a question there, but we well, seem to be – it seems to be working no matter what we say or where it goes. It doesn't stay there for long. It just goes higher. Go ahead. Well, you're on to something, Rob, I think, because this market is always kind of looking for the next best thing. And and it's it's just this this vortex of rotation, right? Um, you know, we've talked about too how money doesn't necessarily flow out of the stock market; it flows within the stock market, and it looks for the next best thing. And it can afford to do that when interest rates are still relatively low, right? And um, you know, certainly with what's going on, you know, with Arc Innovation, I mean, it's kind of a uh, in this moment, it sounds like it's more like a live by the sword, die by the sword type of uh, approach because clearly they're, they're heavily invested in high growth names, high growth stocks. And, um, and their strategies may indeed prove out over, over the long term. But, you know, I think we'll understand, um, a little bit more if, you know, if the ARC funds stop publishing, you know, their daily trades, right? Um, there's, there's certainly some, cachet and some appeal right now and when they tell you what they've been buying and what they sell and you kind of see you know the retail herd follow there and that provides some i don't know if artificial is the right word but you know it certainly provides some added support you know at moments when you might think that uh, those stocks might have more room to fall but um but i do agree with the general thesis that you know, this is a market that kind of doesn't stick around uh, for long. It just goes with what's working. And when it stops working, it finds a new target to make work. And it can do that because there's so much liquidity and you still have rates that are still relatively low. Great answer. Thank you for going with an odd question, but you hit a home run as you always do. It's Patrick O'Hare. You can find him at briefing.com, a reliable source of international and domestic news, all things financial. I dig it. Again, there's growth stories in there. There's technically strong stories. There's different angles on the economy, interest rates, inflation. Just a great group of smart investors. Find them at briefing.com. That's briefing.com. Portions of our programming are brought to you by our good friends at Provident Credit Union. With 21 Bay Area locations to serve you and your banking needs, visit ProvidenceCU.org. Now back to Rob Black and your money with your host, Rob Black, on the Bay Area's business leader, AM 1220 KDOW. So during the commercial break, I was looking at a 
stock just for poops and giggles. Apple said that they slipped this one out this morning. Trust me, it feels like, what do you mean by that? I want a little bit more information. But they reportedly cut orders for iPhones by 20% due to low demand for the iPhone 12 mini. This is good news. It sounds like bad news, but it's good news. The low-end phone isn't selling well. The high-end phone is selling very well. Bad news if you're trying to get into new markets like India where they look at a $1,200 phone and laugh. Good news if you're in the business of telling Wall Street what your margins are. It's both good news and bad news. But I was looking at a company called Foxconn. And it's a contract manufacturer, original equipment manufacturer. So um, they're probably not enjoying the fact that Apple just said, well, we don't need that 20 million extra phones. So managers are coming back to their employees and going, oh, Henry, I know I promised you a lot of work in the spring and summer, but we're losing kind of a big order. I need you to stay at home. Foxconn in your head, you've heard of them. Um, if you study anything on semiconductors and phones, you know that phones are getting smaller and faster, and they're getting faster with more components, and they're getting smaller with, with more uh, transistors and, and things printed on the semiconductors. Um, it's, it's gorgeous. The screens are getting nicer. And Foxconn's like, we can build that for you. Why did you come up with a great idea, Apple? Go get that industrial designer guy who comes up with a concept of uh, a HoloLens, something you, you augmented headband. Apple's going to have to make it look cool, but Apple doesn't want to manufacture it. Manufacturing, it's not fun. It's not sexy. You've seen reports on 60 Minutes about how the Chinese factories are turning into death towns as kids are expected to work 60-hour weeks. 80-hour weeks are expected for the people that were only working 60 there's no money in in manufacturing. That's why companies like Ford and GM have stagnated for so many years. There's no money in it. Um, but you get tied up into the labor cost, and you get tied up into unions, which I don't know if I'm pro-union or anti-union. I know that some unions I really, really love, and some unions I'm like, eh, I don't really see the point. When I was 16 years old and working in for a grocery store as a cashier, I don't, didn't feel I needed a union. But when I looked to my right and saw a 28-year-old single mother bagging groceries, I was like, she needs a union. Um, but contract manufacturing is not sexy. And it's an industry that you would have thought would have done better than it actually has. But it's also kind of like you cheating and saying, well, I don't want to own Apple and I don't want to own Broadcom or Qualcomm who makes the chips that go inside this. I want to own the people who are going to make it. It is part, no doubt about it, of the ecology. But it's the manufacturing part. And like I say, and Ford and GM have, have really struggled. And now they both look fantastic. They look poised to have a nice two or three years as stocks. And you've not ever heard me say that in the history of the show. Why do they look good? Because they're delivering what people want, electric vehicles, and they're charging more for them. Charge and get the pun. <laughs> and they're taking some bold challenges and, and chances with some new technologies. Um, they should be selling car insurance. They should be selling some other products like um, 
better audio video enhancements inside the vehicle. A lot of people think augmented reality built into a car will be a game changer. I can tell you driving a Tesla is pretty fun in the sense that it tells you when the light changes. It goes ding. Um, and at some point in time, if I could customize that so that it goes, yo, dude, the light's green. I'd like that technology a little bit more to have uh, kind of a, a voice in the car tell me to go versus a ding. But Ford and GM are poised to go higher because they're moving away from manufacturing. I, just, I, I think my point of the segment is to bash manufacturing. Um, Nike designs great shoes. Nike, oh boy. Real Sports on HBO is probably one of my favorite TV shows that I try to find and catch up on. And they just did a piece a couple weeks ago on Nike and what an evil company it is that they get young athletes, sign them to deals. Uh, we, we have coaches that are going to train you and get you to the Olympics. Um, and then they don't care. The only thing they seem to be caring about is selling of shoes. But again, I go, who else can we work with? Adidas? Not publicly traded in the United States. Adidas. Um, every now and then they get like investments in Skechers, and you're like, eh, they don't have the volume, volume, volume that a company like Nike has. And I'm, again, I'm tying Nike into this for one last shot because in the 1980s and 90s, we saw Nike say, we make shoes, we have Michael Jordan, we could sell these shoes for $200 a pair. How do we make more money if we keep the plant open and bend Oregon? Uh, they're educated a lot. They want more money. They want more pensions. They, oh, boy, they're going to unionize. Let's take it to China. Or let's take it to Taiwan or Indonesia. Let's go where labor's cheaper. Because labor is part of the manufacturing costs. And it's the only way some companies can get the margins that they want to hit is look for cheap labor. That's changed a little bit. Internet and social issues being what they are, slowly changing the low-cost factoring world into more competitive costs for the worker. Anyhow, manufacturing is super important, and it's part of any ecology, whether it be an auto industry or whether it be expensive phones. You might remember a couple of years ago, Steve, not Steve Jobs, but Tim Cook and uh, Donald Trump had a big to-do about Foxconn opening up a business in Michigan. It never really happened. We sink money into the project as a country, and they just haven't figured out how to make phones. I'm Rob Black, and all things financial money, investing, and more. Find me on RobBlackShow.com. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.